We should have just, this should just be the start of the podcast. That's just, really start, is that, start it now. <laughs> <laughs> One of Rogers and Hammerstein's most beloved classics, The King and I, provided several Broadway standards and catapulted Yul Brenner even to greater stardom. But has it stood the test of time? Let's discuss. This is from Stage to Screen and Everything in Between, a musical adjacent podcast. I'm Zach. I'm Mads. I'm Quinn. And I'm Elizabeth. King and I, how many of you guys were familiar with the show before we watched it? I personally have only seen it. uh, I've only seen the movie and it was back years before I had discovered the theater. And uh, it was probably in like sixth grade. And all I remember, I watched it in school. And all I remember thinking was, Man, I wish I was like out in recess right now or something, you know, like I, I hate musicals. I was one of those kids, you know, and I was like, why am I wasting my time doing this? Uh, but that was my only exposure. So it was I had no sort of artistic awakening at that time and I had no uh, creative perspective on it whatsoever. Do you remember if there was a reason why they were showing it in school? Probably because it was like P.E. and it was a rainy day or one of those situations or like it was maybe finals week and my professor professors my sixth my sixth grade professor uh had had run out of material something like that you know what i mean yeah that's funny matt um (laughs) it's kind of a funny story so when i was really little my mom uh forced me to audition for (laughs) for the king and i and uh she had me she wanted me to sing phantom of the opera something from phantom and i was terrified and clearly my mom had no idea what this show was about i had no idea what this show was about (laughs) (laughs) i'm a tiny child and so i was like no i'm gonna sing something from high school musical and so i went in there a little white latina and and i sang high school musical (laughs) you were born to be a star (laughs) and then like three months later randomly we're at dinner somewhere like spaghetti factory or some crap and i'm like hey whatever happened to that and she was like oh you didn't make it, honey. <laughs> and I never knew why. And then so anytime after that, I when I had the opportunity to watch it, I didn't because I was like, that's the show I didn't make it into. And then I just never did as an adult. So I had no idea. And then as soon as we watched it, I was like, oh, my God, I'm so glad I didn't make it. <laughs> Did you own a mirror? I mean, I mean, as a Latina, you would have fit right in with the movie cast, but we'll get uh, to that. Yeah, we'll yeah. talk. We'll, about we'll talk that. about that. We'll talk about that. We'll get there. We'll definitely get there. The funny story is to continue on that is that my little sister was in that exact same production that Mads auditioned for. No way. <laughs> yeah. So I saw that. I saw that production. Uh, yeah. Wow. Oh well. Quincent. It's like, yes, let's hear uh, Quinn's Tell that again. same story again, please. <laughs> <laughs> but this time better. Um, <laughs> similar to Quinn, I also had seen it when I was much younger. And it was, I'm pretty sure my mom owned it on VHS or something. And it was kind of in that period where she was just showing me a bunch of like, 
old movies that uh, she really liked, like The Sound of Music and things like that. And I love The Sound of Music. So I was like, yeah, The King and I. But um, let me tell you, I did not remember a lot of it. So <laughs> I am not very familiar with this musical because as songs were happening, I was like, I have to recognize some of these songs. But I really only recognized two. <laughs> Which is understandable because those, t- those are probably the two that are classics. The Probably. Target commercial song. I'm going to guess it's Getting to Know You. Yeah, uh, it's yes. in a commercial now. Oh, is it really? That's how a lot of it people is? know it. What commercial? It's in like a back to school, like, oh. go get your back to school supplies now. So go you get can... your $5 jeans from Old Navy. <laughs> yeah, it's in one of those, something like that. Oh my God. Interesting. And then the other one's probably Shall We Dance. Yes. Uh-huh. Wow. Yep. Those two, I mean, those two were everywhere. I grew up yeah. hearing those songs. Because my family played a lot of Broadway music when I was a kid, so I, well, yeah. Zach. Also, uh, you were a bit of a stage baby. You I was. Know? A stage you were a little yeah. bit of a grew young. up on the stage. Yeah, I started when I was seven, so sort of young. Um, mm-hmm. Not quite a babe. I grew up with it. I remember watching the movie when I was very little, and I remember not noticing any of the things that I noticed watching it now as an adult, <laughs> but really just enjoying it. Um, Personally, it's my favorite Rodgers and Hammerstein score. Um, really? I really wow. enjoy the lushness of the arrangements. It's very big and and brassy and, and beautiful, and I like it a lot. Um, I wouldn't say it's like far and away, but it's, you know, it's still my favorite. Um, it's a contender for yeah. sure. Mm-hmm. I wasn't sure until we watched the revival on Broadway HD. Uh, please sponsor us. i wasn't sure until we watched the revival whether it could hold up but um it because it has the potential to be very dated and very not great um especially watching the movie back which isn't uh which we will talk about but you know the movie is a classic for a lot of people for a lot of people the movie is this show you know for people who don't regularly see or do theater Mm. Um, the movie is the show. It's a classic. And, you know, Yul Brenner became a huge star. Uh, he yeah. was already a star, but he became bigger after that. He did the, he did the role like four more times, um, Crazy. on Broadway. Um, yeah, so it's, it was a big deal at the time. Um, so yeah, let's talk about the show. Mads, you got stats for us? Yes. So, uh, this is the Fifth musical by Team Rodgers and Hammerstein, uh, music by Richard Rodgers, and lyric and book by Oscar Hammerstein. Uh, it's actually based on a uh, novel by Margaret Landon called uh, Anna and the King of Siam. Huh. Uh, it's actually based on the memoirs of a governess to the children of King Mongkut of Siam in the 1860s. So it's based on a true story somewhat. It's based on based that. on. It's like double yeah. based. <laughs> so like it's not it's far from the source material, but it, the inspiration is there. It is a dramatization inspired by historic subject matter. Yes. <laughs> but even uh yes. even the original book has been questioned by the people of Thailand. So yeah. Yeesh. <laughs> <laughs> so that's why I said uh, it's it's not super, but that's what it's based on. Uh, sure. 
It premiered March 29th, 1951 at Broadway's St. James Theater. It wow. ran for almost three years, making it the fourth longest running Broadway musical in history at the time. Uh, it ended up taking the 1952 Tony Award for Best Musical, uh, Best Actress, with Gertrude Lawrence playing Anna, and the Best Featured Actor Award for Yul Brenner, obviously, because he was a classic. He ended up sure. playing that like 50,000 more times. Um, <laughs> what I was surprised when I was doing research uh, to find was that uh, Rodgers and Hammerstein didn't even actually want to do this musical they didn't want to make Mm. this musical like at all um it was actually because um gertrude lawrence who played anna uh her business manager fanny holtzman was looking for opportunities for her uh because the actress was now 51 years old her singing voice was not great anymore she was aging her career was kind of dying out And so Lawrence's agent actually sent her Landon's original novel and they said, we should make a musical out of this because Lawrence is aging. She could play like a middle-aged school teacher, motherly kind of jive, you know? So uh, they actually uh, asked Cole Porter to do the score (gasps) first. (laughs) That would have been so much well, funnier. <laughs> um, but he declined. And then uh, she was actually going to ask someone else. But then she just randomly met with uh, Hammerstein's wife and was like, hey, how would your husband feel about uh, he and Rogers doing this musical like turning this into a musical and their wives both approached them about it but both of them disliked the source material a lot they didn't think that it was good for a musical because all of the chapters were like um they weren't really there was no congruent plot not a continuous Uh, plot so mm. they were kind of like there's not even a story here but then they ended up watching uh the 1946 film And they were like, okay, so I guess that we could, I guess that this can be strung together as a story. So they said, okay, well, we'll think about it. Um, Also, they had a problem with the fact that this musical was being specifically written for the star of the show because they preferred to make their stars, not hire them. Mm. Because A, it's expensive. B, uh... Gertrude Lawrence was a known diva at the time, and they were hesitant because of that, but also because she couldn't really sing that well at the time. Her voice was kind of going out, and so they were like, we, I don't, uh." so they ended up hesitantly agreeing, just being like, okay, And then uh, Gertrude Lawrence actually ended up waiving her uh, veto rights for the director and the cast. And so she actually gave them more control than they thought they would have. So that was good. But they weren't super interested in doing this show. I mean, it, it was the first instance of them working together on a show where they didn't really get along because it wasn't a passion project. It wasn't something that they chose to do, that they wanted to do. It was something that they were really hired to do Mm. and so they disagreed on a lot 
Uh, they didn't get along very well. I mean, um, literally, Hammerstein wrote some lyrics to a few different songs, sent them uh, to Richard, and didn't get a response for like several days. And then they called each other on the phone, and they were talking about it. And uh, he was like, "Well, what do you think of the lyrics?" And he's like, "Oh, they're they're fine. They're passable." <laughs> like because this wow. was not something that they wanted to do. It was something right. that they were hired to do, so they were like, "We're just going to make this passable." But little did they know that it would become a huge classic. Right. A super smash. Yeah. Of a hit. So it's it's really I mean, I was really surprised that this was something that they really didn't even want to work on. I wonder I wonder if that leads to some of the comparisons of this to uh Sound of Music. Uh mm. I know Yesterday when we were watching it, Mads straight up said, this is basically the sound of music. And mm. um, there have, oh. I looked it up and there have been, I never thought about it because I haven't really watched it since I was younger. But you think about it and it's pretty much, yeah. it's a very similar story about a governess going to, to teach the children, teach the children yeah. of a, yeah, of Guys, a difficult a man. Guys, a cold-hearted dude. Yeah. End up mm-hmm. falling in love. There's a subplot of so another if, romance. You know, and they're both based on biographies of the said governess. You know, they're both based on truth. So mm-hmm. I wonder if that's <laughs> the reason they're so similar is because, you know, they were phoning this one in. Um Wow. Yeah, that's interesting. Imagine the talent, though, yeah. where a show that you don't, you don't, and it's so <laughs> funny. It's like Richard Rodgers literally looked at one of the greatest lyricists, the greatest librettists that musical theater has ever known and said, yeah, I mean, it'll be fine, buddy. You know, <laughs> yes, I mean, that's outrageous. <laughs> that is such true. A, an old New York, old Broadway way of like, right. listen, honey, my 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 darling needs a job. She we're, we're running bro- we're running broke here. We we need you to throw me something, you know, just like <laughs> a throw spaghetti at the wall and see what sticks kind of producing <laughs> style. Nobody does shows like that no, anymore. They take it so was much. literally by the skin of their teeth, barely scrounged together enough money. Bold twenty something year old producers trying to make something work. Yeah. And right? it ended up being even more expensive than Allegro which was a huge, expensive yeah. flop. And <laughs> it huh. ended up being even more expensive than that. So it's like, whoo, luckily it was successful. It's it's so fast. And I mean, those days are, are long gone. Yeah. Broadway is very much like a corporate commercial theater machine. And every yeah. choice is very calculated. And That's which is, I mean, for the best. And I think it's, it, it shows more in the art that they prepared more. But there's so much of that, like... Or human quality that's gone. Yeah. As well, imagine the tech notes where Richard Rogers writes down, you know, this vocal section for the star to sing. And, you know, she's aging. She can't hit it. And imagine the tactfulness of him sitting in the theater or sitting in the rehearsal hall and saying, do I try and pull it out of her or do I just cut the song or do I just <laughs> rewrite these notes? You know what I mean? Yeah. That's such an interesting battle to have to fight. Yeah. She was actually offended with some of the songs they wrote for her. They were like, you don't. She was like, you don't think I can sing higher than this? And she like took it as an insult. And they were like, no. like when they started writing, getting to know you and stuff, they were like, uh, can she? actually do this since they (laughs) had to cut a lot of songs that she took as a total insult because they weren't they weren't impressive they were like uh no dear i read uh i read that towards the end of the run they actually wrote a letter to her that they never sent 
that was essentially like you're losing 1500 people's attention every night like you need to they never what? sent it to her because, oh no uh, <laughs> no because as i think mads is going to talk about uh she didn't well she did she i guess she technically finished the run but she technically finished her contract yes but yeah she actually ended up being very sick and dying of cancer within a year and a half of it opening that is so sad yeah, she i didn't know, know that at all she didn't sad. know they she found no out idea. in the autopsy that she had liver cancer. Yeah. And so undiagnosed. Yeah. So, wow. the, so needless to say, they never sent that letter to her. Right. Yeah. Wow. That I mean, I I love those human. I mean, so much of Broadway history and so much of what Americans today assume are just these great institutions of American musical theater. Right. Were really just shows that were dragged in by their ankles, by people on their last wit's end, on their last yeah. penny and dime. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, it's such a human, such an emotional, creative process that a lot of people don't acknowledge. It's and never I love as these easy stories. as it sounds, yeah. yeah. Absolutely not. It's one of the most impossible things. To produce a musical is one of the most humanly impossible things ever. It is the mo one of the most, besides, I mean, there's only two things more expensive than musical theater, and that's opera and war. You know, that's <laughs> goodness gracious. Oh, yeah. They actually were advised during some of their tryout performances by producers and other composers to close the show before it went mm. any further. Isn't that nuts? imagine the pressure? Yeah. Like, imagine the stress. And they kept going and then it ended up being a huge success. Like, that's just what was so shocking to me. Like, Rodgers and Hammerstein didn't think it was good. The producers were iffy about it. Yeah. Everyone that came to see it in its tryout performances was like, dude, I don't know. I think maybe you should close. This isn't going to go anywhere. And they never felt like the show was completed or exactly right. They just kept fixing it and it still never felt right. But what, then it opened on Broadway and all of the reviews are positive. Hmm. Like, yeah, even the ones that aren't entirely positive their one complaint is that they weren't breaking any fresh trails in mm. the genre that it was like mm. okay this is another happy-go-lucky Rodgers and Hammerstein show which I feel like I feel like it has a little bit of depth to it I don't I'd, know. I I'd don't like know to I'd touch on that. that a little bit later of the modern day like thought process of wh how people in the modern day think about Roger and Hammerstein and how they actually were as trailblazing artists right. yes. you know because We'll talk about it, but I think people today like to think of them as like these very old grandpa-like figures that created these nice little round-cut musicals and they're, you know, a little heartwarming stories. But I think they were groundbreaking mm -hmm. and they were very, I, I hate to use the word edgy, but they, you know, they were trailblazers they were brave they took a lot of chances with their shows Indeed. and i and i don't think modern uh, musical theater fans give them enough credit right because they were very bold i think and this yeah. show is an example of that yeah between this and uh and south pacific you know there's, yeah. they they really south pushed pacific. some progressive messages into their shows yeah. considering how early they were into the 20th century now yeah for the time i think they were super progressive and i think people just don't realize it because it's yeah. hard to place it back in that time when we have progressed so far mm -hmm. today in the genre especially and did uh, and when we get to different shows when we get to their real like you know huge huge like game changer musical 
like Oklahoma, South Pacific, Carousel, you know, the big three. When we get to those, I mean, we'll really like hammer in. Those were like lay it out all in table progressive, like mm. unthought of shows at the time. Absolutely. And it's, I don't know, a little bit of a hot take. We'll talk about it. We'll debate. <laughs> yes, we we'll will. get worked up a little bit. <laughs> uh, Yul Brenner uh, continued to do this show a bunch of times, like we said. Uh, he claims he never missed the performance, but he definitely did. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, a guy can't do eight shows a week for you know, no, four yeah, years. For or sure. The film and the musical's history are so intertwined, it's hard to talk about them separately. Sure. Yeah, um, definitely. For instance, Gertrude Lawrence was had it in her contract that she would be cast in the movie because the show was written for her. But because she passed away, that contract uh, was null and void, obviously. Got to throw that one yeah. out. <laughs> so, um, so it would have been her and Yule, but it ended up just being Yule. Um, right. People Sad. did say that her presence in the early part of the run kept them interested. So she couldn't sing a lick, people said. But you know, she could act. But she could act. Lady yeah. could act. And at the end of the day, that's what matters. Yeah. Okay, hot take. That's what that's matters. That's Quinn's hot take. That's the first time of many you'll probably hear him say that. Yeah, even Rodgers and Hammerstein, one of the reasons that they even agreed to do this show was because they saw her act and they were like, okay, I think we can make this work, even if she literally can't sing. And they're bold. Yeah, I, did, I think that just speaks to their talent, right? It's creating a a groundbreaking piece even under uh stipulations Mm -hmm. so to speak i think i was worried that it would uh seem uh out of date more now um Mm -hmm. because there is while it is uh the movie isn't well we'll talk about that but the show is fairly feminist and fairly progressive in that way but um at the same time, there's still a weird underlying element of a white savior story. That's, yeah, I was going to say that too. It almost has that same, where it's like, oh, the white person has to come in to help the foreigner. Fix. And that's how, yeah. Like, instead of adapting to their culture, even when, like, this is not really jumping ahead because we're talking about the show and the movie, but... When um he's told that, like, oh, they think I'm a barbarian, she's like, oh, well, let's just do what the English do to show them that you're not a barbarian. Right. And it's like, well, why can't they just understand that we have a different mm. culture? So it it does have that undertone that you're talking about yes. of the, like, white savior thing, which is the one part that probably doesn't age well even in the revival. Yeah. Yeah, I guess. I think... It's better because she accepts their culture as well. Yeah. She doesn't totally change them. You know, she's just giving them ideas and helping them move forward. It's more of a fair um, exchange yeah. in the actual theater show. That said, I feel like. the movie is banned in Thailand because they feel it is, yeah. it's an inaccurate portrayal of the king and his family. Mm. Um, How fascinating. I did not know that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's a uh, disrespectful. So yeah, and the they, I totally f- get why they would feel that mm-hmm. way. If we sense that, then I'm sure you know the Thai people themselves probably sense it would sense it more if they're willing to ban mm-hmm. it. You know, yeah. Absolutely. Although yeah. that said, the movie is much less progressive than the show. They cut out a lot. Oh, we'll get um, into that. So yeah, <laughs> the uh, the show was revived pretty quickly. It opened in 1951, but. There was a revival in 1956. Yeah, like, wow. there's very so shortly many. thereafter, and literally, then there was a broke producer out there somewhere. <laughs> yeah, literally, that's 
OG Broadway Insane. opens yeah. in 51. 1953 is West End. Then 1954, there's the U.S. tour. 1973, West End revival. 1977, Broadway revival. Starring Yul Brenner. 1979, literally two years later, another West End revival. 1981, another U.S. tour. 1985, Broadway revival. 1996, Broadway revival. 2000 West End Revival, 2004 US Tour, 2011 UK Tour, 2015 Broadway Revival, 2016 US Tour, and the 2018 West End Revival. This show's been yeah, done. done to death. What? Uh-huh. It's one of the most revived shows of all time. I think it's in the top five yeah. of most revived shows on Broadway history. Because mm-hmm. well, that, that is nuts. Which is funny because people don't put it in Rogers and Hammerstein's top three i don't think no i don't think it is but I, I, it's, i'd it's venture more of to their say it's one. been done more than most of those shows mm-hmm. you know done more than carousel yeah. i believe i don't quote me on that Definitely. but i think it is that's crazy i was right right when i said the 77 one was the one with yul brenner i think so yeah he showed up sure. again 25 years later to do the same role he Jeez. couldn't say no he said i like that role I, I did read that his opening night he had laryngitis and his son rock said all of his lines from the orchestra pit. (gasps) That is the funniest thing I've ever heard of. (laughs) Also, fun fact, he was credited with, his divaness was credited with cleaning up the backstage areas of theaters around the country because he insisted that his dressing rooms be arranged a certain way and clean, and he refused to, like, open, I can't remember which theater it was. I think it was where the revival was on Broadway. He refused to open the show until they retrofitted the theater because he said it looked like a toilet (laughs) well i mean in the age of equity people like to talk trash on oh well i need a cot so that i could you know the equity stipulations in a modern day dressing room where i need a cot to lay down and i need a shoe fund so that i could get you know shoes every year or i need a, a gel slot on my mirror so that i could test my makeup in different light like i if you especially are on tour it is hard enough to go out there and perform, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And, and imagine the anxiety. You go from the rehearsal hall in the middle of a technical process to a rundown. The theater owner doesn't want to pay for it. It's from 1914. You got broken water fixtures. I mean, I understand the equity stipulations nowadays where you, if, if, if they didn't demand it, I mean, it would be the exact same broken down. You know, I honestly respect that a little bit. So, yeah, Yul Brenner gets credit for that, apparently. Hey, good good on you, yeah. Yule. You know, good guy. I respect him. So the show's been done to death. Um, I really, really enjoyed the 2015 revival directed by Bartlett Shear, who mm-hmm. I think is fantastic. Mm. Um, I think it might be the second or third version to actually feature a predominantly Asian cast, which is, considering how many times the show has been revived, which is is kind of interesting and sad to say. Isn't that disappointing, though? You're You're met with an opportunity... Like people talk about how Rent is a show that has given more people of color equity cards than any other. Like you're you're met with an opportunity to give Asian Americans equity cards, right? Mm-hmm. Your right. career starter opportunities to break them through rejected, right? I don't know. I think that's very sad. It's also, Absolutely. I mean, you could talk more about how it's interesting like that the only shows that do feature like that are Miss Saigon and this, which are both not quite accurate portrayals of Asian culture, you know, mm-hmm. but, uh, absolutely. Yeah. 
it's yes we don't have to get too deep into that but it is i think it's important to talk about with this show because especially the movie you know there's almost no asian people in sight and uh and people will probably people will probably would back talk about that but you know it's it's worth thinking about being for sure. a per, being yeah. a performer at one time of ethnic descent you know it's you get pigeonholed really easily and it gets really frustrating you get cast as the ethnic one you know you know if there's yeah. any sort of ethnicity in the show whether or not it's the one that you are actually they'll cast you in that role you know um, despite the voice that you've been given exactly. right yeah. despite your need to tell messages and tell stories so, that's your specific i hate that and then you have a show full of opportunities yeah. and they give it to somebody else there's only like, that's like what's so three ridiculous. or four uh white characters in this show at all you know um so it's a big opportunity for that um some people yeah. don't understand that but it, you know it's it's hard especially for I mean, for everybody, but it seems to have been recently, especially for the Asian community, it's hard to get cast as other things than Asians, you know? Absolutely. Yes. So getting cast at all is great. Um, Absolutely. So it would be nice if they could find them. Because, you know, if you've ever seen a Filipino sing, you know that they can sing. So it's not about talent. (laughs) Amen. That's so funny because it's true. That's very true. (laughs) A freaking men. Anyways, um, anything else to say about the show? Can I just talk about how the immediate my first impression of this show, both with looking at images of the first original Broadway set and looking at images of the movie. I mean, it's so to me, it feels European, right? It's such Hmm. a in the operatic tradition of just give give me surfaces and put decoration on the surfaces. Right. (laughs) Um, If we go. Here's a little uh, tech facts with Quinn. Yes, please. But if we go to the original uh, scenic and lighting designer, it's one of the most preeminent scenographers, meaning of the European school of thought where scenic designers light their own sets. It's one of the most preeminent uh, scenographers of Broadway in the Golden Age. Uh, Joe Mielziner. Okay. Who, I mean, he has worked on... What hasn't he worked on? He's worked on pretty much every single Tony Award winning musical and play between uh, 1940 to up until 1965. He worked on just near every Tennessee Williams show, every early Hal Prince show. He worked. He lit almost every single one of uh, Jerry Robbins uh, choreographed musicals. Mm -hmm. And he studied under one of the early uh, inventors of suggested scenery in American theater, who is Robert Edmund Jones. Um, and I just think it's so like you you talked about how the score was lush. And I think the scenic elements and the costumes, I cannot write. I cannot think of a, a, another term to describe it more them. accurately than that, lush. Yeah. It's so I mean, it, it's part of the whole royalty theme and it's part of being in a palace. But every surface is decorated. There's geometric motifs. There's tracery there's carving and i don't know how much of it is actually specifically researched and we can talk about that and talk about how i don't know how much research went into uh southeastern asian culture and how you know this specific time period and how historically accurate it is but both the original broadway set and the movie are so grand and it's so i mean and it's sort of a trope in the opera nowadays where it's 
it has to be huge. It has to dwarf the actors. It has to be this grand sweeping veranda and vistas. And, you know, it's, it's very much that that world. And I think that is what sticks out in my brain. It's mm. so like when I think of King and I, I think of those pillars and those archways. And it's 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 huge. I mean, I don't know. I could talk till I'm blue in the face about yeah. it. And just to uh, give credit where credit is due, the original uh, design team, uh, I already mentioned Joe Mielsner, but we also have costume designed by Irene Sharoff, and the assistant to Mr. Mielsner is John Harvey, who went on, went on to have his own very successful Broadway career in lighting design after, uh, after uh, his work on King and I. Um, I love... Uh, and pardon me, because maybe uh, Elizabeth can talk a little bit about this. I don't know if it's the same costume designer who worked on the costumes for original Broadway as the film. However, I love how much the costume tells a story. Right. Mm. And the costume is a part of Anna. It is the uh, what do they call that farthingale or or wheel dress mm-hmm. where it's such a. such a wide hoop skirt type petticoat uh, business that is so I mean it informs everything about her character right you know it informs how she sits how she dances Um, two interesting facts about the costume uh, that uh, amazon.com told me while I was watching the movie (laughs) is that some of the dresses that were constructed for the movie weighed between 45 and 55 pounds and during some of the heavy dance numbers uh, they would bruise her hips and thighs just because of all of that understructure while she's dancing and, and sitting and, you know, going through the blocking. Yeah. Talk about oh. like making a choice that takes away from an actress, but also defines her as a character. I don't know. I think it's very creative. I didn't get a chance to look. I'm not sure where I would look to find out how accurately Thai art and culture is represented. In it's the design, difficult. it's difficult yeah. to know without talking to somebody, you know, who was like a historian or would know specifically. Sure. Um, but it looks like it is and it looks great design wise. Mm-hmm. You know, it's um, like the design is so intricate and pretty on all of the buildings. And mm-hmm. specifically, um, I don't know a ton about Thai culture, but or Siamese at the time. Um, I don't know an, a ton about it, but I love all of the headdresses and the masks that they use in this show as well. Oh, um, it was gorgeous. Yeah, Can I add pretty. something? Go ahead. Uh, that is related to that. The music is not actually Thai I'm sure. music at all. Well, they obviously it's Rogers and Hammerstein show. They're, it's not going to be all Thai music, especially back in the 50s. That's not Wouldn't what that I have meant. Been awesome, I can't see Wouldn't Richard Rogers cool? dragging his drunk butt. Over to <laughs> to listen to Thai music and be like, all right, how do I take? Yeah, he didn't do that. No, 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 no. But what I mean is that a lot of times, uh, like they'll sample things or they'll use a certain type of instrumentation to like give it a like a stylized approach. Sure. Like that's still in their style, you know. But they didn't because they were like, no, we don't like it. And so hmm. it's it's actually not Thai inspired at all, which is another reason why. Thai people don't like it yeah. super much. Um, and anytime the actors uh, spoke Thai on stage, they didn't actually speak a language. I was, it was wondering about that. It was noises from the orchestra. Oh, like it would be no. like bells and like. Oops. Like. Oh, no. I think that is so hurtful. Yeah, I agree. It, 
I will. Well, I mean, we'll find out because the movie they speak something that doesn't sound like Thai, but also it just. Yeah, I don't know if it was Thai or not. It might just Definitely be that it's non-Thai like it. speakers speaking it in the movie, or you know, people not familiar with speaking Asian. I simply languages. don't know, but I wouldn't be surprised. It doesn't sound good in the movie. But there was like one or two times when I feel like they said like three sentences, and then the phrasing back, some guy was just like, Hurrah. "Yeah," and that just, was it. I know for a fact that in the original Broadway show, if anyone actually spoke Thai on stage, which I think was only the king, it was not actually Thai. It was, it was something that they just totally created with vowels that suggested Asian language. Which is, not even Thai language, just Asian language in general. Which is not surprising. At this point it's, in the entertainment industry, especially Hollywood, but... Broadway as well, you know, Orientalism was a very big thing. Yes, um, people I mean, even even in culture. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. People really wanted to express and enjoy all of uh, this, you know, Asian influenced art and culture, but they didn't actually want the Asians involved with it. Um, so they then it's the it's the British or the white version of a lot of those things, and I think that shows in this show. Definitely. I think uh, as well, you look through theater history and you look at the movements in theater history that have inspired from Eastern theater that have inspired Western theater, like ancient Chinese dance and things like uh, Japanese no drama and kabuki presentation. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like those which are not Thai at all had an influence on Jerry Rodden's choreography. Mm. But didn't, I mean, I feel like he didn't do his homework. I feel like it was not distinct Thai theater. That's, right. I feel like there's no, there's no way to know unless you know, you know, cause I was look, no, no, no. How many times did I say no? But, um, <laughs> but just watching it, you know, it looks great. I love the choreography yes. and the ballet and the, uh, small house of uncle Thomas ballet. Oh, that's my favorite. It's yes. so pretty. I mean, it was to die for. And it looks so delicate and it looks like it fits. It looks like it fits more than some of the other aspects, you know? I believe it, but I, I don't know if I, I feel like it would have been special if and I and I'm not sure how I can't speak for how the revivals might have done this. I think it would have been special if you actually introduced the tradition of like, here's the real Thai theatrical yeah. tradition. I don't know. That's just my take. But on they it. always there seems to be a point. Maybe it's just because of his name, but there seems to be a point of people saying this is based on or this is a reproduction of the Jerome Robbins choreography from the original. Hmm. Yes. So I don't know. And they even brought him back in the 90s for an Australian revival to do a new version or a new piece. Um, So there seems to be a like, for whatever reason, they keep his choreography. So I don't know if that's just because it's beautiful or if because it's accurate. I don't know. It might be a contractual thing. Yeah, that's because true. I know a lot of the choreographers of that era said, "If I open a show in New York, you better you better know those are my steps." Yeah. If it revives in any major house, so I don't know. I can't speak on that at all. I mean, since since we're pretty much there, let's move on to the film. That's exactly. Please, what please. What are what are some film stats, Elizabeth? All right. So it was interesting. So you said that the show opened in 1951, right? Yes. Yes. The movie came out in 1956. Wow. I do not know too many movies that are like, you have a show and then they're like already in the talks for a movie. That's crazy. Yeah, that's That's an old world thing. It might have to do with the fact that it was in Yule and uh, Gertrude's contracts that they would be in a film version. 
I Got see. It. That's possible. Okay. So maybe they were already talking about it before it even opened on stage. Yeah. But yeah, I I'm fascinated that just five years later there's a movie. Also a revival um, that same year, which is nuts. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. When you <laughs> they said were that, milking that cow. <laughs> yes. When you said there was a revival in 1956, I actually double checked to make sure that I had it the right. right that the, yes, I was like, <laughs> did I get this wrong? Did the movie come out later? But no, this can't be. <laughs> Yeah, that's so just what crazy. happened. Insane. Uh, but yeah, it was uh, produced by 20th Century Fox and uh, with Charles Brackett and Daryl F. Oh no, what did I write? <laughs> Daryl F. Zanuck. Daryl F. Zanuck. I know him. I, he's a fam- very yes, famous he's a big person. Name. Yeah. Um, it was directed by Walter Lang and it was nominated for nine Oscars and won five of them, including Best Actor with Yul Brenner. The only person, right? The only person for Rogers and Hammerson's production to be both on the stage and on the screen for the same role. Mm-hmm. It also won Best Art Direction, Best Costume Design, Best Music Slash Scoring of a Musical Motion Picture, and Best Sound Recording. Interesting. Fascinating uh, that that was a category. Yeah. Yes. You don't really have that so much. Um so aside from Yul Brenner, the uh, woman playing Anna was Deborah Kerr, and they actually dubbed her singing in. That is not her singing. Yes. That is someone named Marnie Nixon. Marnie Nixon, the ghost of Hollywood. Yeah. Yes. And I Famous. believe, I don't have this in my notes, but I remember reading it. She was 21 at the time, and she had a cold, but was like, oh, maybe this will work better because I'm a little bit deeper and I can sort of match her more. And she was actually on a lot of the days that Deborah was filming, she was alongside her and trying to match the mannerisms and way Deborah was singing to sort of like make it a little less obvious that it was dubbed. Yeah. Wow. She tried to match her because Deborah has a much more alto voice than Marnie does. Mm-hmm. Marnie is a soprano. Um, Huh. She du- she famously dubbed uh, Audrey Hepburn for My Fair Lady, mm. um, that's what I recognize as her well name as from. Natalie Wood for West Side Story. Yeah, that's how I know her. That's funny. I know that because she's the she's uh, Maria in West Side. She's also the voice of or the singing voice of Grandmother Fa in Mulan, the <gasps> Disney movie. Shut up! Really? Wow! <laughs> I wait. What? Like the beads of jade. jade that one? Yeah, that's, that's Marnie <laughs> oh Nixon. Oh my gosh. She um That's amazing. I have one degree of separation from her, um, because my grandma on my dad's side was best friends with her at this time. Um, at the time that they would have been doing King and I. Uh wow. There's actually a picture of my grandma in her autobiography at her wedding, um, at her first wedding. So yeah. That's they, fascinating. They knew each other. Yeah. Um they, my grandma, I'm a hometown connect right there. She wouldn't talk about it, but I'm pretty sure my grandma sang in the chorus, like of the the studio chorus that does all the ensemble singing for movies like this. She's in South Pacific, I know for sure. I don't know if she did King and I as well. That is historic. I love that. How, what an interesting fact. <laughs> Anyways, but yeah, she's friends with Marnie Nixon, so I love hearing about Marnie. Wow. Well, yep. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to totally hijack that. I just fun fact that I didn't mean hey. to hijack that at all. 
It's okay, because good news, I only have two more facts because you bastards took them all. Oh. Uh, <laughs> no, we need to, like, come together before and cross No, it's facts. good. It works out. I'm it sorry, works out. Ian. So let me, let me hit you with these two facts. Hit me. All right. So the art directors, John DeCur and Lyle Wheeler. Wow, I've tried to say that. Lyle Yeesh. Wheeler spent... $750,000 designing the 40 film sets. 40? 40. Wow. I don't even remember there being 40. film sets. Yeah. That's 40? crazy. Yeah. $750,000 for 40 different film sets. What is that is now? 750, 750 in 1950s dollars. Gosh, what would that even be? What would that just, be? That is a lot That would be millions, yeah. right? Man, yeah, I think so, and f- definitely one of my favorite things about the film is the sets and how beautiful mm. they looked. They're like so that was, they really are. So you can really tell that a bunch of money was spent. Mm-hmm. Um, Beautifully crafted too. I mean, it it looks like it's a, it's a real place. Mm-hmm. I don't. I love the Hollywood craftsmanship. Whoa. Yeah. Okay, so I just looked it up. I'm sorry to interrupt. I was too curious. Uh, Seven hundred and fifty thousand in the 1950s is equal to about uh, just over eight million. Woof! Oh my in, god! In uh, 2020, eight million one hundred and sixty-six thousand five hundred and forty-six wow. big fat dollaroonies. Yeah, film is an expensive medium for yeah, sure. Absolutely. It definitely is. It's definitely gotten more expensive, but I think even adjusted for inflation, some of these movies would have wow compared to the yeah. movies nowadays. Yeah, I can't even imagine. I don't even know what their total budget was. That I, I bet you could find it somewhere. But I'm just curious how much went into set and then everything else. Right. Like that just seems crazy. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, um, so nuts. And then my uh, last fun fact is not necessarily uh, about the film, but the real life Anna Leon. Leon Owens. Thank you, Leon Owens. I wanted to say Leon. Yeah, Leon Owens. The real life Anna Leon Owens was the maternal aunt of Boris Karloff. Oh, that's random. (laughs) That is random. She had a Hollywood connection. Yeah, found that one out, and I like Boris Karloff, yeah. so I thought I'd throw that one in That's there. Great. What? That's cool. Fascinating. Fascinating hometown connection. <laughs> the full budget was $4.5 million. <gasps> In today dollars or then? No, dollars? in then dollars. Okay, okay. In that- so that's a lot now. That's a lot. That's a lot. What is that now? It made the box office was twenty one point three million. So they definitely made it back by a lot. Oh yeah, they're fine. <laughs> just for comparison, just for a fun comparison, the average Broadway show that opens in today's day and age, completely four wall expenses, costs about eight to twelve million to produce. Right. So oh. in today's dollars, it costs about eight to twelve million to produce a Broadway show. Uh, so they really uh, bought their movie. They yeah, the uh, but yeah. it paid off. It was so gorgeous. The nineteen to also for perspective, the nineteen ninety nine film Anna and the King uh, cost ninety two million. So I would say yeah, I'd say they did pretty different good. Slider on 5, of yeah. perspective there. Wow. So, uh, Zach, how much did the animated 1999 version cost? <laughs> Dang it. I literally <laughs> just clicked away from it. I don't know. <laughs> so the film is very much different. Well, not very much different. The film is missing things from the original, and it changes the tone and the intent personally. 
I don't know specifically. Could could somebody detail the differences? Because my my layman self, I don't quite know what the difference is. The scenes are generally the same. There's a few songs missing. There are some key songs that really bother me. Apparently, a lot of these were filmed and recorded, but they just cut them from the movie. Interesting. Um, And they were supposed to, I guess, release them in. There was a version that was coming out that was going to be updated, and they were going to have those as like a special extra thing. When you get it, you can have these songs that they had supposedly recorded, but uh, they were still not there. So I don't know what odd. Happened to it's that. sort of like Patreon. Those are like the Patreon perks when you buy a movie back in the day. <laughs> not to go to Hollywood history, Patreon. but at this point in time, uh, road shows were a thing. So like where. Nowadays, people would go out and have dinner and dress up to go to the theater for a, a live production. Back then, they had road shows where people would dress up, go have dinner, and go see a film. And it was very specifically, um, you know, there would be some catch to it. For instance, this movie was filmed in Cinemascope 55, uh, which is a wide oh, yeah. format. Of course, uh, Apparently, it was not really shown in Cinema 55 anywhere because nobody no, wanted to. No, it was to, still shown in 35. Yeah, nobody wanted mm-hmm. to convert the theaters, and it was like the audio was in stereo, even though it was mixed out. Yeah, I'm going to say that's like people filming 4K now, and yeah. it's like who's going to actually watch it on 4K? Exactly. Has, you know. So, you so, know, the, it was sad. probably a big deal to go see this movie. So, they, it makes sense that they would have a re release with, you know, added features. Mm. Um, the biggest song that's missing is My Lord and Master, which is. The second song in the show, actually, Tup Tim hmm. sings it right after she's presented to the king for the first time. Oh, that would have been a great moment. Yeah, that makes me sad that it's it gives her uh, it gives her a lot more agency as a character than the movie does. So much more uh, depth. ends up giving her. Yeah, Ugh. let's see what else is missing. Um, the one that there's a there's Anna a song the kids sings. sing called the Royal Bangkok Academy, oh, which yes. is just a little side song. Um, then they cut. Uh, Anna has a song called Shall I Tell You What I Think of You where she uh, lays out exactly what she thinks of the king in uh, not so uh, not so subtle terms yeah it's and it's very it's just sounds really mm-hmm. progressive like the things that she says are like I'm not lower than you just because I'm a woman and she like actually like lashes out because he's not in the room with her and they took that out and I felt like uh, I don't know. Hammerstein, Hammerstein, Hammerstein. <laughs> Such a good guy. I love him. They also cut out a song at the top of Act Two called "Western People Funny," in which oh, that yeah. one too. Yeah, which is great. Um, it's basically it's basically the uh, Siamese women saying, "What the heck is up with these people? They call us like uncivilized, but like, but like what these the hoop heck skirts, is this hoop skirt? like all these things that we have to do to act like them are ridiculous." And I feel like they're the backwards ones. And I think that would have been great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they took that out, and I feel like that just it, took away the whole message of the show. The movie is problematic watching as an adult, to say the least, and. The yeah. removal of songs such as that one, I think, don't help it. I think this inspires a conversation of, here's my personal hot take. I said I'd have some hot takes in this episode. Here's one of them. Spicy. I personally think you can get away with more in the theater. I, mm. and, I and I don't have a ready-made wisdom answer as to why that is, but I think 
throughout the course of history, there have just been more things that main metal America is not okay with seeing in the movie theater, but people who travel to New York city to see Broadway are just fine with. And right. I think part of the, part of that are those messages. And I think they wanted to scrub it a little bit because they invested whatever, so many millions of dollars. Perhaps that was one of their things is they didn't want backwards middle America to, uh, or, or, you know, traditional, uh, you know, conservative, right. 1950s traditionalists to see that and say, I disagree with what this is telling me. Right. So I don't right. know what the intention was for that, because obviously Broadway made that stance. Yeah. Right. It's a movie of the times. Yeah. Not that that was correct, but that is definitely reflective seeing it now. Oh, it's definitely. so bad. Like as a kid, I did not notice. Same. Um. For well, whatever reason. Because when you're a kid, you're not paying attention to that. That's true. That. You're just thinking. Like, people are just people. And you just assume everybody's got good intentions and all that jazz. Yeah. Um, yeah. But no, yeah, watching it now, it's like, man, these people are super what white. What specific things bothered you? I mean, I want to hear about it. I mean, there's, there is a win. There is a Filipino performer as a lead. Uh, Prince Chula Longcorn in the movie is played by, oh, shoot, what's his first name? It's Adiarte is his last name. Somebody look that up, please. Um, but yeah, the uh, the crown prince in the film is a Filipino performer. There are Asian extras as well as I think some Asians mixed into the king's uh, wives. Yeah, you know, some. the one time I was like, oh, I'm positive that these are Asian performers is when they were on the ship and it was all the like workers <laughs> yeah, with no lines. Yeah, exactly. so I was like, okay. Yeah. 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 But even That's some of them. That's a detail I, look, I didn't think about, but you're correct. Um, I mean, and then we have, you know, she's fantastic, but we have Rita Moreno as Tup Tim, who is, oh, yeah. she said, she's quoted as saying she that she would just get cast as ethnic. If there was ethnic, she would get the role. Absolutely, because you know? back in that time, it's like, this person's brown. Okay, interchangeable. Yeah. All brown people, any colored people, we're all just interchangeable. And people, and I don't. Yeah. Uh, people always I don't say, I, "I have an answer to Zach's question, yes, guys." Name? Everybody, everybody, the name we're looking for. And if you were googling along at home, get your score sheet out now. The name <laughs> we were looking for was Patrick Adiarte. Patrick, thank you. Yeah, great actor. I think he did a great job. Yes. Um. But yeah, it's even some of the, like the kids are mixed. Some of the kids are Asian or maybe of Asian descent, but then some of them are very not. Yeah. There's a lot of yeah. there's a lot of Latin people in just this with film. really thick eyeliner and like tans, like spray tanned, you mm. know. And then we got some British, full on white people also. Um, the funny thing is, yeah. at least Yul Brenner. I always thought I thought for years that Yul Brenner was. I swear I read he was Russian. Yeah. I, I have an interesting fact. He grew up in a town that was only a couple miles away from North Korea. Yul Brenner? At the time, it was just Korea, but he is actually Asian. He did grow mm -hmm. up in the in the continent of Asia. Okay. As I was going to say, he looks, uh, I think he might be Northern Asian, question mark? Yes. He, he comes from far, far, far east. I think the farthest east you can go in Russia. Okay. Like right up against the Pacific Ocean. He almost didn't do the film, and they almost got our good old friend Marlon Brando. No. Oh, yeah, I saw oh. that. Oh, oh, no. Who uh, has experience playing 
Asians already. He played. There's another film that where Marlon pra- plays a Japanese person with full on like eye prosthetics. It's real uncomfy. Or like John Wayne in uh, The Good Earth. Have yeah. you guys seen that? Oof. Yeah. Ugh. I hated that book. So yeah, Marlon Brando was. Oh almost my gosh, lead. this guy is not even no he's very no he's he's, italian he's 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 an italian guy he's very italian um he's super italian that's like if i was gonna play the king (laughs) yeah exactly exactly (laughs) i think you'd be better in (laughs) i i like yul brenner i i've always liked his performance even as a kid i still sort of like it now he's very funny yeah he's got a way about him um he's got a way about putting his hands hands on his hips hips. Freaking time. It drives me nuts. <laughs> For those listening okay. at home, uh, Quinn and Elizabeth have their hands on their hips. <laughs> I, I think it demonstrates, I love his characterization because it's such a mockery of the theme of power, right? And, yeah. and I think he does it in a very graceful way where he is a graceful king and he, and Hammerstein included a lot of times where he is funny and he mm-hmm. does have like lapses in judgment. I mean, the biggest motif of this is like, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, it's, it's say I, that could be construed as perhaps a looking down upon in a cultural setting perhaps, but I think it's more of a look at this guy who's supposed to be the king, but he makes mistakes just like yes. a, yeah. a, exactly. an everyday yeah. worker would. He's, you know, he's I don't trying. know. I think that's a funny. Yeah. He's a flawed, he's a flawed person. And yeah. I think that's yeah. why dis- I think the fact that they make him a flawed character makes him a whole character as well. He has depth to him. He's not I don't think he's flat, you know. He's Oh, yeah, no. That's and true. it's it's good. I would say that he's the only character that for me wasn't mm. flat mm. and I enjoyed the most. Hot Everyone take. else is kind of one note. Like Anna, she's like in general like a good like typical woman yeah. who is like yeah it's progressive but also not really because she's coming from where that's already kind of a movement do you know what but i'm also trying to she say comes like from england where like women aren't necessarily even though we got queen victoria women aren't necessarily the top of society and it's also you know? right set in what like the 1860s or something so it's like at that point i'm like were women really not property were they not generally yeah property. so i mean i guess as far as her character goes she has that going for her but it didn't really seem that i don't yeah. know she's not flawed there's no really big flaws with her like everything she does seems very like this is what a normal human should do right. yeah that's Whereas, true i don't think she goes on a very hero's journey kind of dynamic path she doesn't have a lot of encounters i don't yeah, think that's just I mean, yeah from just a storytelling perspective, I struggled because I was like, who is the antagonist? What even are mm. our protagonist's mm. goals? Like, what am I, what is the story I'm seeing? What is our protagonist trying to accomplish and who's preventing her from accomplishing those tasks? Right. And so I was not super engaged when it came to like that because I don't know. And it becomes a back, it becomes a back and forth between them as like, potential love interests slash you know slash not friendly enemies i guess yeah you know actually talking back about that i think that i read somewhere that they gave a lot of the like love songs to i'm not gonna remember their names but um what's her face that comes in at the beginning tupped him yes Tupped him and yes. man. <laughs> Both of them, they got all the love songs because they didn't want to, they wanted to have it as a subtext because they didn't, they were trying to make it to where it 
I mean, it still ended up banned in Thailand yeah. anyway, but they were trying to not make that the focus. And so they gave a lot of those songs yeah. to the other characters to not really make it the focus right. of the story. That subplot yeah. didn't exist in reality. That was added for the show. So those two characters, that makes perfect sense because those two characters don't actually exist. <laughs> I read that it was also yeah. partially because Gertrude Lawrence just genuinely couldn't sing those big love ballads sure. that are that Rodgers and Hammerstein are famous for, you know? Which they is felt funny like they needed to include that. Then they hired Miranda Kerr, who also can't sing. <laughs> Deborah Kerr. Deborah Kerr, thank you. Miranda Kerr is a real person. Miranda Kerr is a real person, but she's alive now. Um Sorry, Miranda. Didn't mean to yep. hurt you. No, yeah, Deborah <laughs> Kerr can't actually sure. sing. They were going to hire Maureen O'Hara, I read, who can sing. Oh, wait, wait. I think I have this. I have this, but I was like, well, this isn't really that relevant, so I don't know if I'll have a... It is in the notes. I have that they were going to hire Maureen O'Hara, mm-hmm. ah. um, but Rogers objected and said... I won't have that pirate queen playing our Anna. (laughs) Oh, dude. That guy. Old Dick is coming down, dude. He laid down the law and said, get her out. Yeah. (laughs) So that's why we ended up with Deborah. I think Yule insisted on Deborah. He saw her and was like, yeah, "Yeah, she should be Anna. Yeah. I think think she did a phenomenal job. She's she's got a good performance, I think. Mm -hmm. She owned it. I mean, she. I always feel for somebody who has to be on stage for that long. Or on camera for this, from this perspective. But I think, like, that is a challenge. And I know she's a professional actress, but I think she honed it well. You know, it's not easy to go through something like that. Well, and their their dynamic is iconic now. The play, the play between the two of them, I think, is, you know, just part of classic cinema now at this point. Yeah, I agree. The famous image of them both laying on the floor with their hands under their heads. You know, (laughs) yes, that I like. Funny, Mm -hmm. as a film, directorially, it's really boring. I had a couple thoughts on it. It's that. locked off for most of the movie. The camera doesn't shift oh, yeah. or move. Mm. It's just like takes, maybe it tilts or it pans a little bit depending on the characters moving. But other than that, that camera is staying where it is. Like, yeah. There are a lot of moments, I believe, where they, and this was a big critique I had of the Into the Woods movie where they said how they were feeling out loud. They were like, I'm angry about this or, you know, whatever have you. I think this director actually did a good job of they would like a good example is when the Englishman that Anna knows comes to Siam and they have like a little bit of a romantic flirtatious moment. Mm -hmm. And then the king comes in and reacts to it. There's nothing said there that uh, at the very beginning of the scene illustrates that the king is mad. But like the reverse shots and the reveals, I think the director allowed him to show that he was mad. And, you know, I am not nearly as well studied in this era of film, but I believe like I thought he did an OK job at characterizing. But that's just my uh, simpleton perspective. There are rumors that Yul Brenner should also get a credit because him and the director clashed so much that a lot of the scenes ended up just being what Yul wanted. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. So that could be part of it. <laughs> I feel- Honestly, I mean, they were gonna they were gonna have the king get gored by an elephant instead of just die oh. of a of yep. a confused heart. Uh, 
So and Yule was <laughs> furious about that. So he yeah, made Yule them change it. Yeah, Yule was like, "No, we're not doing that," because they wanted it to be more of a grand death instead of like just an illness. A man who was him. confused and you know gave up, like which is more, I think, more heartfelt. Yeah, that was one of the things. I have a couple of continu- continuing notes, but one of the things that I was so confused of is like. Why is he dying? And I know that there doesn't have to be a literal medical explanation for every death in a movie. I'm fine with that. It's a movie. I know. But like he doesn't. Is it because he didn't eat for six weeks while the boat was coming? Or is it because he didn't drink any water? Or was it like uh, episode three of Star Wars where it's like, (laughs) he's lost the will to live. (laughs) Honestly, it is that. I mean, it's. In the show and in the story, I think it is like like what you guys were saying. He just gives up. I don't know. Guess but I'll I, I know die in, now. <laughs> I could have sworn in real life it was like he had malaria. Yeah, he did. A, he ended he, in real life. He died of malaria. I believe. See, they should have included that. I, I think. I think they imply that he's sick. They. But it sounds like it's some deeper metaphorical thing of like, oh, he just isn't needed anymore i don't know what they were going for with that Mm. i honestly think it's rnh trying to push the uh romantic side of things um true to the american melodramatic yeah it's i am dying now he dies of a conflicted heart you know there's yeah which is the crawler home the prime minister has a line at some point about how he is trying to be two things you know he want he's he wants to have all these progressive and Western ideas and technologies and move the country and it's forward. Apart. But at the same time, he's Poetic. he's raised in this background where he's spoiled. You know, he is the king. You know, everything lives and dies by his word. You know, and yeah. so those two, I progressive and that and that don't really mix. And so I think the idea that they're trying to suggest is that Anna just pushes him over that brink of like. He can't, you know, he's trying to be aggressive. They just had the English there. He's impressed them. And then also he's about to whip Tub Tim for, you know, running away. And so, like, he just mm-hmm. can't reconcile the two. And I think it breaks him is the idea. Um, I don't know. It's, it is poetic and melodramatic. But yes, I think. But, but part of that is beautiful. I know I like the it. The show itself is that way, too. Honestly, that's part of the reason the music is my favorite. Because the music also is that way. Mm. You know, it's very grand and and over the mm-hmm. top and big you know um the march of the march of the siamese children is one of my favorite pieces of rogers and hammerstein music when he presents all the children and it's that really big i have to go back and listen to it oh it's so good that part. i think i have the cast recording yeah, yeah i gotta listen to it on vinyl it's great one theme i actually wanted to talk about what did you i know we're we're i mean geez guys the movie's two and a half hours this podcast is gonna be six and a half this one's actually going longer Uh, what did you guys think of the thematic exploration of like the science versus reason and i like the scene where they're like i think it's a little bit progressive for this era in america where they were just sort of like yeah sometimes science doesn't work with religion and you know what that's kind of fine. I don't. I feel like that's kind of a bold yeah. stance to take. It really uh, surprised yeah, me that. when they talked about how the world could have been created in seven days, or it could have been several thousand years, like they thought it might be back then. But it's a miracle either way, which I think is a beautiful yes. line. Yes. Yep. I was like, whoa, when I said that. And and Big and fan. part of it is also like the theme of like. 
when she pulls out the second map that's actual the land map and they're like why is it cyan bigger you know it's part of that theme uh-huh. of like what is a truth you yeah. know i don't know i thought it was interesting i thought that was a little bit of a something that you perhaps wouldn't see in the 1950s no, for sure. yeah there, definitely i remember loving the film as a kid it was difficult to watch it as in the same way now because i was wanting to feel that same nostalgia but i didn't you know like the shall we dance scene where they're sweeping around the ballroom you know the it's just a class. That's a classic Hollywood moment, and it, you know, I was trying to feel it the same, but it just kind of felt different because I was thinking about a lot of the stuff. No, I hear you. I think overall the film is fine. Um, if you can ignore that, <laughs> there's so many white people playing Asian people. So many. The worst one is Lady Tiang yeah. for me, who's very, yeah. who's very obviously like an opera singer lady, <laughs> white opera singer. I mean. I know they weren't doing it in a way to be hurtful, so it makes it easier, but at the same time, it's still, mm-hmm. knowing what you know now, it's like... Yeah, uh, it, it's yeah. hard to look back on, I think. I also, and sometimes, in order to get a movie produced, you have to, you know, Richards, Rodgers and Hammerstein had to make those cuts. Sometimes, yep. in order That's to true. get what you want, you have to make a couple sacrifices, and I think we got a great movie, you know, regardless. Yeah, yeah. I do think it's a a well done movie. Like we watched, we actually watched the film first, and then the which stage version did 2015. we watch? Twenty fifteen version on stage, and I just felt like even though they were both good, once I what once once I watched the once <laughs> I watched the stage version, I realized how many character moments were lost just because of the way they directed the characters it was a different i don't even know how to express it like a different style of acting almost where it was like i feel like a lot of things were lost like i things that they said in the movie that were like the same line or the same message didn't come across the way that they did on stage in the same way effective way what they didn't say things that should have been effective effectively does that make sense yeah. i don't know no, they didn't play their marks Maybe, yeah, yeah. I hear yeah. That. yeah and honestly i think that's a directing thing i really absolutely i personally didn't like the direction of this film i don't think it's really outstanding it's okay um stuff happens the design is great the performances are you know are, are great but yeah i just don't think it all pulls together for me personally you just from kind of flat yeah it is kind of flat absolutely it's, yeah, it doesn't have the dynamic that I think the stage show has. Yeah, the stage show had so many more. Well, you reminded me that moments. they cut in the stage show. Uh, uh, Anna has a big part in the Tub Tim Lunta story. Mm-hmm. You know, she's helping them meet. You know, she she has a reprise of her uh, of Hello Young Lovers with them later in the show, and they cut all that from the movie too. And she knows before yeah. the. She knows that they're going to the run play, away. That they're going to run away, but she doesn't know. In the, in movie, the movie, she doesn't know. Yeah, she's just kind of like an inactive character in the character, movie. and I feel like that takes away a lot of the progressive ideas of her character. Agreed. Like she's mm-hmm. supposed to be some like. I mean, she's. I mean, obviously, it was the fifties, so she doesn't have this huge feminist agenda. But like at that time, a lot of the things that she does and says were. A lot more progressive, you know, so I feel like they took away a lot of her agency. I also don't think they used editing at all. Like no, the editing was just sort of like, <laughs> here's the yeah. scene. That's what I'm talking yeah. about. It just goes from 
one take to another. Right. Yeah. We had a couple shot reverse shots. Yeah. But aside from that, it was, yeah, aside from that, it's just here's the camera, do things. Which sometimes <laughs> there's a place for that, right? Yeah. There's sometimes oh, sure. there's scenes that are so great when they don't have a single cut in them, but you have to use it as a choice. And, and I think the choice was just, yeah. oh, I don't know what to do with this. Show the whole scene. It has to flow. <laughs> yep. Yeah, it has to flow. And I think, go ahead. I mean, I was going to say, I don't know, but maybe it just goes to how they, what other movie musicals came before this? I would have to look it up because maybe it was just that thought process of, well, a lot of people can just look at a stage and they're fine without any movement of a camera. So let's just set the camera right here and let them do their thing. That's true. Pretty similar. A lot of movies at the time played out theatrically, which I personally think is great and it needs to happen more often in yeah. modern movies um theatrically meaning you know the camera the take starts and the scene plays out in one take you know or in long takes and that yeah. was fairly common but also you know musicals were like the biggest film genre in the 30s and 40s oh, you yeah. know so like it's not you can't really say this person you know mr lang can't really say oh well it's how it's done you know like there's definitely a precedent of really well-made movies before this hmm. yeah true so i'm not sure yeah i'm not sure what happened there because they do let it play out but yeah but they don't i don't know they don't if, cut usually if you leave the it. camera still or you leave the take unbroken there needs to be something to watch yeah. right or maybe if there's not much to watch visually there needs to be some sort of storytelling with the cinematic language and i don't know if there was either I mean, you know yes exactly it's the opposite of Into the Woods, where in the songs where people are standing and singing, you know, they would cut to, you know, a uh, flashback. Whereas in this, they just hold. They just hold yeah. on the person singing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think there's a balance. You know, you can have, I appreciate it when they let the performer do their thing, you know, without having to say, don't get bored, kids. But also, like, you know, you can do interesting things with the camera and the editing to make it feel more alive than just standing there it's storytelling yeah, yeah exactly. use it as a tool you can tell the story better yeah if you're gonna move immediate to film then please use the tools you have for film exactly <laughs> i agree <laughs> why why ignore them it's yeah the the show translates well to film because we're still in that era where like you know the story is pretty straightforward you know there's not any funky elements to it um that would make it difficult to put on film versus on stage. But at the same time, it doesn't translate well because you think there would be more life on stage because there's movement and flow and blocking and scenery moving. I think personally, that's probably why, which we haven't really talked about at all. I think that's probably why one of my favorite parts of the entire film is the small house of uncle Thomas ballet. Oh, that was so gorgeous. Which is so pretty. It was the most dynamic yeah. thing I've ever seen. That was the most interesting part of the film for me. Yeah, I, was like, I agree. Wow, I'm so engaged. And I remember that being as a kid as well, you know, because I didn't really care much about like the interpersonal relationships of the adults, you know, like it's so visually interesting and the design is so pretty and the the little really simple theatrical special effects that they do to create all of the different like snow. Yes. And, oh, the the scene where they make the sheet completely flat on the floor to suggest yes. the ice is so cool. Oh my gosh. Cause it like, it totally, you totally get that vibe. It's like moving like water and then they pull it tight and it is like, you know. 
genius. And I think that's all choreography. Yeah. It's all, Which might all be, smart choreography. That might just be Jerome Robbins' influence on the film. Because he did, he did the choreography. It's a good film. I still think it deserves to be called a classic. I just don't think it's super, super well done. It's, you know, the performances are good, and I think that's what holds it up, as well as the design. Um, it is, you asked earlier, Quinn, it is the same costume designer as the show. Yeah. I knew Irene, it. Uh, sure. Yep. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, let's give our final thoughts on this. Elizabeth? So, for me, I won't ramble too much, but... Um, as a movie, how the story is, what I'm interested in, it's not my favorite. I, I agree it's a classic and it's enjoyable, but I'm also not super interested and I feel like I've heard the story a million times. Sound of music. So, yeah. <laughs> so, and I'm just going to give it six. I'm going to give it a six out of 10 for me, for how I felt about the movie. But as an adaptation, um, I feel like you do miss some moments that the show gives the characters and it helps develop them more. But overall, you still keep a lot of the same story. It still has a very similar feel and similar vibe. So I'm going to give it an 8.5 as an ooh, adaptation. Ooh, ooh. Zingo, bingo. <laughs> uh, Quinn, thoughts? I, you know, I, it's, I, I'm trying not to parrot you too much, but truly, I don't know. So I, I like, I love movie musicals and Rodgers and Hammerstein are, there's a reason they're held in such a high regard because they are one of the, if not the most brilliant team of all time. However, the movie, it was a good, I feel like it's such a grandparents kind of movie. You know, I hate <laughs> saying that. Yes. But it's like. All the worst things you think of when you think of old movie. And that yep. is such a loaded term. And I and I I think this is contributes to one a lot of the reasons why people say, I don't really like old movies, because it's so static and it's so unchanging. Um, but I think, and this leads into my adaptation, I think the design is to die for. I think it is one of Gorgeous. the greatest, most lush things I've ever seen. Um, so as a film. As a film, I'd say 6.7 brick houses outside of the palace out of 10. (laughs) And and as an adaptation, it suffers from a lot of the things. It suffers from different problems as Into the Woods. But although the same, I think it just took away all its social agenda. It took away all its freshness. So as an adaptation, I'm going to have to say like 5.8. brick houses outside of the palace out of 10 because uh like i said it just like the design was spectacular and i think the different locations were actually better than the original broadway design once again i don't know didn't the directorial choices and the choices to cut numbers i also wish it had intermission i don't know i feel like it took away that would be cool yeah mads um just as a movie in general, I think I would give it probably like a seven. I'm going to give it a flat seven because it's very classic and it's got that nice classic feel to it. The design is just gorgeous. And 
overall, it's an enjoyable movie when you have that understanding of like, this is an old classic movie. It's enjoyable. Um, so yeah, as just as a movie in general, like a seven, like I would watch it again. Um, but as an adaptation, I would give it probably a like a 4.8. Ooh. Cause go in, sis. I oh wow, I misread something. <laughs> <laughs> because I after watching the stage version, I just felt like it suffered so much. Like not into the woods status, because I think I gave like into the woods like a three or like a two or something. I'm giving this just under a five. Because, I don't know, watching the movie, I was like, that was an enjoyable movie. Cool, I'm going to go on about my day. But the stage version made me cry like three times because, A, it was just beautiful. And also, there was just so many moments and so many themes that I think were glazed over in the film no it took away from the impact yeah it mm-hmm. it just wasn't as impactful and so like yes it was an enjoyable movie which is why i gave it such a high rating in just the movie category but as an adaptation i just really think the story suffered a lot even though it mm-hmm. didn't stray super far from the source material i felt like directorially it suffered that's uh my take. <laughs> I love it. No, absolutely. This one's difficult for me because, like I said, I grew up watching it. It has some nostalgic factor to me, for me. Um, but watching it back, it definitely wasn't as good as I remembered the film being. So, uh, But it's still a classic. I'm just not sure it stands the test of time like some of the other films of this era do, mm. especially in musical terms. You know, It's good, but I don't think it... I don't think it holds up as well as like uh, Sound of Music would, for instance. Um, Absolutely not. Um, so I think it, I'm going to give it like a six and a half um, for the overall film rating. As an adaptation, um, I think it does suffer from uh, cuts, which I didn't know about at the time. And even after seeing the movie, or seeing the movie, and then seeing the stage productions. Back in the day, I still didn't notice the differences, but now I really do. Um, so I think I'll give it. I think I'll give it a six as an adaptation, because um, it is great. You know, it doesn't really hurt the show. It doesn't change the the show drastically like other adaptations do. Um, so I think it's I think it's passable. Um, like I said, like I've said before, we're still at that point in musical history with this show where the show is pretty much straightforward story-wise. So it just kind of, you can just kind of move it to film really easily and maybe even make it more lavish, which I think is probably why it gets a higher rating. Cause yeah, mm. the locations are, are fantastic. So yeah, that's my take. All right. That's our thoughts on the King and I, which is obviously a story that holds people's interests because there are 5 million adaptations of it. musical and non-musical animated like you know there's so many different versions of this story so obviously it holds people's attention for a reason all right madison can you tell people where we can where they can find us on social media 
So our Instagram is stage to screen podcast. Our Facebook is also stage to screen podcast. And our Twitter is stage number two screen pod. Awesome. Please give us a follow and like and subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Zach. I'm Mads. I am Quinn. And I'm Elizabeth. And this has been oh From Stage to Screen, a musical adjacent <laughs> podcast. We'll see you guys later, hopefully at the theater soon. <laughs>